if I want the world to be different, if I want my world to be different, then I have to live differently. And um, what I can, can say is that I'm very um, thankful. I'm very, um, I'll, I'll use the word grateful, um, although it, it's usually not a part of my vocabulary. I'm very thankful and grateful that I know this, that I have this information. Mm. Now, when I talk about knowing, I'm not, not talking about intellectual comprehension. I'm, I'm yeah. talking about an experience that exists beyond intellectual comprehension. It's a, an all-consuming identification, a, a sense of that without the information that has been passed on to me, I, I have no idea where my life would be today. Thank you, thank you from my heart, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, thank you from my heart, from the bottom of my heart. Stay connected to gratitude. Hit the follow button right now and join thousands of listeners tuning in each week. We're the Gratitude Seekers. Come join us. Our guest today was enlisted in the U.S. Army at age 17 and served in the Vietnam War as a helicopter crew chief. He was honorably discharged at the age of 20 and was awarded numerous medals, including a Purple Heart. After battling severe uh, PTSD, isolation and addiction, he discovered Buddhist, Buddhist practice and began intensive training and study. In 1995, he was fully ordained as a Zen Buddhist monk in the Japanese Soto Zen tradition. Since then, our guest has dedicated his life to addressing the causes and consequences of violence, war, and suffering among individuals, families, and societies. Using the tools of Buddhist practice and insight, he educates and accompanies people in the peaceful transformation of conflict and suffering. Claude and Shin, welcome to the Gratitude Podcast. Thank you, Georgian. It's a real honor and a real pleasure to, to have you here. And... Um, I'm really blessed to be able to be in your presence and um, to enjoy the the peace you, the peace you bring uh, with your presence. So, thank you uh, for being part of the Gratitude Podcast. Yeah, you're most welcome, Georgia. So, let us know a little bit more about you, about your story. Um, where would you like that to begin? It's it can, it can get quite long. So, um, take us back a little bit uh, to when you were 17 and you uh, enlisted in the U.S. Army. Sure. Um, how, how was that experience for you and how did that get you to, to where you are today? Well, what I can say is that at 17, I really thought that I... I thought that I knew something. Um, only now when I look back, I can realize how naive I was and how little I really knew. And I will say that I um, enlisted in the, in the military directly out of high school. Um, I, um, 
I don't know. I, I would say that I chose to go in to the military, but it, it's not exactly true. I mean, of course, I chose. But at the age of 17, um, I was not um, permitted by law to legally sign a contract. And when one joins the US military, one must sign a contract. So my father had to sign for me. Um, some history is that my father had been a soldier in the Second War, and the community where I grew up, which was in rural Northwest Pennsylvania, uh, a small, very small town, a village, the name was Waterford. And probably 70 to 80% of the men living in Waterford had served in the Second War. So I was surrounded by this war culture. Um, the films that I watched, the books that I read, um, I, I was being conditioned in a particular way. Um, also, um, growing up, I was um, quite athletic and participated in uh, sort of the major American sports, um, football, baseball, basketball, wrestling. Um, and what I've discovered over time is that the foundation of these, um, of competitive athletics in this country, I also witness it in Europe, is very, is quite, it borders on being paramilitary training. The language of competitive athletics, especially in the United States is often uh, uh, they use military type language, going to war, um, my brothers, uh, my sisters, um, they, they, have, they have military planes fly over the stadiums and, and they have this big celebration with the flag and the US flag and the anthem and, and there's a, it's, it's militarized in a way. Um, so I was surrounded by this and consumed by that. So my conditioning was such that even though I thought I was choosing, really the conditioning of the sports that I participated in, the family I grew up in, the, the society that I was exposed to, they were, they were actually funneling me in that direction, unconsciously, but I was being funneled in that direction. Um, I joined the military um, um, because I thought that going in the military would somehow make me special. Um, I was also, uh, because I, I, I felt in a way uh, sort of invisible as a young adolescent. And, and what I'm saying now is not something I had access to when I was that age. Um, I when I, when I left to go to the military, my father drove me to the uh, nearest uh, bigger city, a place, called, a place named Erie, Pennsylvania. And there I boarded a bus that took me to a place called Buffalo, New York. My father took me to the bus station. He uh, dropped me off, said goodbye and left. Didn't stay no emotion, nothing. He just left. Um, and really, I, I can't even begin to describe how I felt. Um, uh, I, I, I was in, I took the oath to join the military in Buffalo, New York. Then I was sent to a military training base in New Jersey. And I realized when I got off the bus, uh, at this military base, that the military was not something, I, I just knew that this was not what I had thought it would be. And, um, and, and there, was, there was a large piece of me that really just didn't want to be there. Um, however, um, once you're there, the cost of not being there is really great. I mean, if I would have created the circumstances to leave the military or be thrown out of the military, um, that information would have stayed with me the rest of my life. And uh, it would have 
created a great deal of problems in my life. It's not dissimilar to being, uh, to spending time in, in, let's say, the consequences of a bad um, exit from the military or an, uh, an undesirable exit from the military. The consequences on, on us as individuals is not dissimilar to the consequences faced by people who are getting out of prison. It's very, it's incredibly difficult to get jobs. Um, there are no, it's, it's difficult to get any support at all from the government if, if you can get it. Um, I somehow turned a corner. Um, I became, uh, I, I was very, because I was an athlete, I was very good at, at the military. I was really good in training. I was very good in all the things they asked me to do. And as a result, I received some specialized training um, in Europe, in Germany. And then, and then while experiencing that training, I volunteered to go to Vietnam. What I would also um, talk about here is that while in the military, here in, um, I started to consume alcohol without any restrictions because it didn't matter how old I was. And I, I quickly got into um, a lot of trouble with alcohol. Um, alcohol was beginning to make my decisions for me. My solution to this problem was to leave the circumstances that I was in and I did that by volunteering to go to Vietnam. Um, I told myself that if I volunteer to go to war, and that if I'm really, if I serve in war honorably, and I, and I'm decorate, I get some awards and medals and things. When I come home, then um, all of the stories that I'd read and all of the films that I had seen, I would be greeted as a hero. Jobs would be offered to me, available to me and and uh, people would love and respect me um, that wasn't the truth it isn't it, it it isn't generally the truth even if people appear to love and respect you and once you begin to talk about the truth of military service um, they quickly either leave they they to they leave it emotionally psychologically they they just detach from you um, um, or um, they leave physically they are really not interested in the in in what the combat experience was actually like for us um, i will uh, i do want to mention one thing uh, in your introduction you mentioned the term post-traumatic stress disorder what I have come to understand is that um, I am not disordered. I am, I do live with post-traumatic stress, um, but disorder, the, the term disorder speaks to that there is something not okay with me. And actually that's not, not the case here. The way I experience the world and the way um, how I interact with the, circum the circumstances of my existence now are, are affected by my military service in combat. Um, They're affected by the violence I experienced that I participated in. Um, it just makes, my, my relation to the world just makes sense. Um, I uh, was injured quite seriously in Vietnam. I spent a sig significant amount of time in the hospital. And uh, when I was released, um, I and came back to Pennsylvania. Um, I came back with the notion that I just wanted things to be um, the way they were before I left. I, I just wanted the, all of what I had experienced in Vietnam to be behind, just forget about it. I wanted it to be behind me. That, that was not possible then, and it's not possible now. Um, I will say that um, 
My father died at a very young age. He died at the age of 53 in the year 1973. The death certificate says that he died of a heart attack in his sleep. What I know is that my father's lifestyle killed him. Uh, my father never spoke about the truth of his military experience, his training, or um, the actual experiences that he had. Um, the way, and my father used, um, he used intoxicants, um, alcohol, tobacco, um, he used them in excess as, as a way, I, what I understand as a way of, of keeping, the, attempting to keep the real cost of those experiences at a distance. Uh, my father drank alcoholically um, and uh, he's smoking 60 cigarettes a day. Um, he was a school teacher, well-liked, well well-respected, uh, and yet simply just not available. But what he was teaching me through his behavior was how I was to deal with the, with my experiences coming back from war, and 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 I did just that. I I didn't have the skills to manage the the power of the feelings that I was exposed to through combat, and through training, and through combat. And in training, I, I'm taught to dehumanize others. I'm taught um, to create enemies, um, and that enemies are anything, anything that anyone or anything that doesn't look like anyone who doesn't look like me, uh, or who um, doesn't believe the way I believe. Uh, and um, to do that, I, ha I I lose contact with my own humanity. Coming out of the military and back into civilian life. Um, this um, this training um, doesn't it, the training and my experiences just didn't have any real real time application. Um, so I was lost, confused, and spent a lot of years um, attempting. I spent a lot of years trapped in a cycle of addiction. Um, because once I took, uh, once I used alcohol and other drugs to, to keep the feelings at a distance, um, the more I needed to use them. And uh, I got into a lot of trouble with that. War, violence under any circumstances, really it's just not a solution. Even when it appears to work, it doesn't really work. We can see that today. So yes, I, I live with post-traumatic stress. I, Post-traumatic stress being an aspect of um, a more comprehensive uh, understanding of what those of us who experience violence in war, in family situations, um, in interpersonal interactions, um, the more comprehensive understanding is, 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 is labeled with the term moral injury, the betrayal of what's right. Um, the betrayal of all that we believe to be true. Um, Post-traumatic stress being an aspect. Moral injury is a wounding. It's not a psychological disorder. It has its psychological components, but it's actually a wounding. And, and so and those of us who are trained, those of us who have fought, those of us who are trained to fight, those of us who have experienced violence at, at any level, whether it be physical, emotional, psychological, um, we experience this. We, we are wounded. We experience this wounded, woundedness. Exactly. The, it makes so much sense. And um, I, I really appreciate, appreciate you explaining this and uh, uh, sharing with us this, this perspective because it, it's something that um, we're used to um, but the, the, there is this this small difference from maybe from our point of view in wording but it matters so much for for someone 
who is in in that particular situation and um yeah i, I think that that really makes a, a great difference and uh, i've read that um especially for for this for post-traumatic stress um th- there is some uh, research that gratitude is helpful uh, did you feel that gratitude has helped you with uh, post-traumatic stress um i'm i'm not i'm i'm cautious about the word gratitude mm. I'm, i'm also cautious of words like peace and love and because there are so many ideas attached to them about what they mean um, what has been really helpful to me is understanding that understanding that the roots of my decisions were preformed that i was conditioned to them accepting that yes and um, i did some i did some for my actions i am responsible um but that my actions make sense based on how i was uh, shaped to view the world by the circumstances i grew up in so accepting that this is like this and then action if i want the world to be different if i want my world to be different then i have to live differently and um what i can can say is that i'm very um thankful i'm very um i'll, I'll use the word grateful um although it it's usually not a part of my vocabulary i'm very thankful and grateful that i know this that i have this information mm-hmm. now when i talk about knowing i'm not not talking about intellectual comprehension i'm i'm yeah. talking about an experience that exists beyond intellectual comprehension it's a it's an overwhelming sense of of it's it's an overwhelming kind of not overwhelming it's a an all consuming identification a, a sense of um that without the information that has been passed on to me i i have no idea where my life would be today that's amazing that's amazing and let let us know then how do you define if you have a, a particular definition for gratitude or thankfulness well what what i what i have been led to through my study in buddhist practice and through living a life rooted in active um living a, a root a life rooted in active meditation it, people have some conceptions that meditation is simply this sort of sitting someplace in repose and they have the notion that meditation is supposed to you know relieve stress or uh, take away confusion or or that all of the thoughts that race through my head will suddenly disappear and these are not uh these are not an accurate impressions about what meditation is meditation in daily life aren't two things so um gratitude um by name is defined depending upon a person's certain angle of perception um and so what i encourage people to do is rather than um attempt to get the world to conform to their ideas of things to sit just to sit invite more silence into their life walk more slowly talk more softly um adopt some basic premises uh, a commitment to not kill and by not killing um how can we define that in terms of our own lives um and out of that grows the experience of gratitude which may be different from the idea and the experience of gratitude is not a fixed place it 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 will it can show itself then in different ways in different forms as we are as we let go of our attachments to the idea of it that makes sense and um 
so basically what you're saying is that it's it's an experience it's something that's very personal and that you get to um to see for yourself um basically when we let go of attachments right yes i would say and this is another it's another tricky one let go of attachments what does letting go mean and <laughs> again letting go is not not the not not that these attachments ever are gone the the root of my attachments shows itself to me um it it can pop up they can pop up at different points in time and with with this disciplined practice that's been given to me rooted in act, in a life of active meditation um i um when those attachments show up i have the possibility to recognize them neither reject them nor allow them to control me and my relationship to them changes they don't go away um i don't let go of them but they don't have the same um affect on me because i'm more i'm uh, conscious of them i'm more conscious of them so yes it's a, it's a complicated it's a long answer to a simple question but yes yes uh it's not so much a, a getting over them as it is living in a different relationship to them peace with my unpeacefulness so can you give us an example for instance um how how does gratitude feel for you uh without these attachments or when do you get in a uh in a sense of gratitude in which situations yeah, I, sure i can give you multiple mul- i can give you a lot of different examples um so in april of 1983 april 13th exactly um i was living alone in a small cottage in um massachusetts the us state of massachusetts mm-hmm. i didn't see any point in in life in existing um i took a massive overdose of drugs because i thought death was the solution um i i didn't see how to go on i didn't see any possibility to live life differently um i survived that drug overdose and i sur- survived it with all of my mental faculties intact i think and uh, and and my physical capabilities still i still have my physical capabilities so i was very fortunate in that respect um that experience gave rise to a meeting with um three people and one of them uh, asked me if i was going to overdose again and i said yes absolutely i didn't see any point in going on like this that death in death it had to be better and this man said to me how do you know it's better it could be worse and in that moment i i was i was detoxing from the overdose i wasn't very clear i was all, i was agitated and and not very focused and I, really i just wanted a cigarette and i just wanted to get out of this hospital but when he said that it was piercing to me it just broke through all of my ideas and formulations and there was a truth that i heard there that was unshakable to me i i don't know what's next and and so i i went so the thought then followed if this is all that i have if this is what i have right now i better do something about this that led me to um a clinic where i stopped using alcohol and drugs and i have stayed stopped i haven't i haven't used not one since um the 28th of may 1983 for for these various instances and for me my my life began to open up in ways i i never could have imagined and and this i would describe uh, in reflection i would describe these as moments of being um of reflections of gratitude in my life that i was able to hear that these people showed up in my life and that i was able to to 
take some radical actions which my uh, which have led to me being in the place that I am today. Um, I would say that all of these are for me the when I reflect on them bring up the, bring up what you, you are referring to as um, gratitude. Um, That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Seeing the the huge impact that that one person can can have on our life, and and also I believe your your determination as well to to stop even after so much time. I, I think that's that's very inspirational and um, very powerful for many of us that might be having a challenge with different kinds of bad habits. Um, I think it's something that we can, can all reflect on. And um, yeah, I can only imagine the gratitude that you you must feel for for that per- person or for those people um, that were basically able to, to help you turn your life around. Hmm. Yes, there are certain instances that I just, they just stay with me. They, I, I don't forget them. I don't know this. I don't know this man's name. I don't know who he was. And I don't know what brought him and the other two men with him to my room. I just know that I just that experience just stayed with me and that and I think I mean I think his his uh, what he said to me was not calculated it was uh, a response in the moment and and that's what really moves me the most it's not these calculated gestures it's the subtle interactions we have on from a on a day-to-day basis the quiet things like saying hello to someone just smiling at someone on the street and saying hello. Um, the interactions with, with shopkeepers and, and um, with, for me, with the, the inanimate objects in my life. Uh, to, like when I, when I, I I'm, I'm really, I'm just so thankful to have all of the opportunities that have been presented to me as a result of a willingness to live differently. I, I will say that with, um, with addiction, um, it wasn't, it's not so much the willingness to stop as it is the willingness to stay stopped. Mm-hmm. The understanding that there is no solution within, there is no solution within those. Um, there is no solution within, the, within that framework. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, and indeed, that's that's amazing to stay stopped. I think, uh, yeah, I'm guessing many people uh, want to or stop many times, but staying stopped <laughs> uh, that can be a challenge, and uh, yeah, it's something that's that's not always easy for for most people um it, it's not easy yeah it takes great it takes great determination and it takes um acceptance understanding and action yeah and on this topic i i really love your your perspective on peace and i think it's very uh wise and I, I just felt uh, like it resonated a lot with me and it made so much sense. So can you share with us a little bit your, your perspective on peace? Yes, what I often say, and, and I say this because I actually do live this, is that peace is not the absence of conflict. It's learning how 
to have conflict without that conflict degenerating into war, violence, and the creation of more suffering. Um, I, I, I also um, make it really clear that I am not a pacifist. Um, what I, what made a great deal of sense to me was um, uh, Mohandas Gandhi's um, articulation of his reality with nonviolence. He referred to it as active nonviolence. Um, and this resonates with me. Active nonviolence says that in any given moment, I have the capacity to act violently. But in awareness, I make a conscious choice not to. to. So in that moment, I am exercising uh, living, living at peace with my unpeacefulness. Um, so I, I am conditioned to, I'm conditioned to respond to certain situations with aggression and violence. Um, in, and that can manifest itself in many different forms. Um, when to be willing to be present to my own life, so that I'm aware when, when these situation when I find myself in such a situation and and I I have a consciousness of the feelings that are arising and the thoughts that are being generated by those feelings and how when those thoughts and feelings come together they they tell me that I need to act in a certain way that I have the capacity to not do that um, I I don't have any enemies today um, I do a lot of I engage. I, I engage quite a bit with with people uh, who are in the military, who are actively going to war, who are committed to to the notion that violence is a solution. But I I look at where we are connected, not where we are separate. My intention is not to convince anyone of the rightness of my position and the wrongness of their position, but to meet them where they are at and to just be stable and solid in the person that I am. For me, and that's the manifestation, a living manifestation of the reality of peace. That's wonderful. And it, it makes so much sense. And um, yeah, I think it comes from a wonderful place of acceptance and understanding of the the reality of life and uh, the differences we have like how um my reality and my solution is doesn't have to be uh the same as yours so that i can be at peace right this is correct and at the same time um georgian it's it's important for us to um to be willing to see where we are connected. Mm-hmm. Instead of, we're, we're accustomed to focus on where we are separate. We're conditioned to focus on creating separateness, specialness. Um, and and uh, my attitude around these topics has shifted and changed. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm looking always to see where are we connected, not where we are different. Um, the differences show themselves all the time, um, and and uh, this for me is is another example in my life. I've never defined it like this, but it's another example in my life of how peace organically shows itself. In the time before AT and T fiber internet. Shame, shame, shame! What did you do, love? I ran out of internet data. And they're making your shame walk. No, it's just how I feel. Shame! Shame! In the time after AT&T Fiber Internet. Nice to have unlimited internet data, right? Right. The dawn of a better internet era with AT&T Fiber. Limited availability in select areas. Check eligibility at att.com slash fiber. Restrictions apply. That's very interesting. Yeah, and I totally resonate with this idea that uh, 
we're interconnected and that's one of the reasons why um, why we're grateful because we're interconnected because we we rely on each other uh, for so many things and we we were able to live the way we live and to enjoy the things that we enjoy thanks to this interconnectedness and to this to this peace that we that we got to live because we see for instance right now uh, in Afghanistan um, it's really hard for the civilians there because of the war and because it's harder for people to to do what they need to do to get the, the supplies and everything that they need so so that they can live a, a normal life because th there is this this conflict and on this i'm i'm really curious to to hear your perspective so uh like i mentioned before as going live um i've watched a documentary to better understand the the situation there and there has been a lot of conflict between the religious views and the political views in Afghanistan, uh, at least since uh, that's what I know from the documentary, at least from 1950, probably even before that. And this conflict seems to be continuing one way or another uh, in different stages. And this is, this seems to be just another stage what could we do or what could people do there to to stop this uh, continuation of of violence and and war in in such a situation do they even have a chance to to stop this because the the way i see it, it it's very complicated since it's so it's, it's historic like people have been uh, from the religious um um from the religious part of of the nation have been persecuted quite a lot and also when the religious uh leaders were in charge the political ones had to suffer could there be an end to this and could there be peace um, the, my opinion is there always could be an end to this however the people involved, the individuals involved, um, have to want to bring an end to this. Um, for each of the individuals involved, there is some sort of psychological, emotional, spiritual payoff for continuing this. This, but see, wars are, war and violence are narcotics. They are they are the most powerful narcotic we can ever expose ourselves to. Um, to to detox, to detoxify from the consumption of the narcotic of violence um, requires a great will. Um, I, I, I I'm not in a position to 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 make any pronouncements about what would be best or what would serve them best and and. It, I'm not Afghani, and mm -hmm. I don't live in Afghanistan. Actually, Afghanistan is in itself never, it doesn't really exist. Afghanistan was a creation of the British East India Company. It was a geopolitical creation of theirs. The, the area of Afghanistan is largely tribal. And, mm -hmm. and then it's how can these tribes uh, live, learn to live, in um, in some kind of harmony, but that's that's something they have to determine, uh, and that's something that, that they need to be willing to. They have to determine and have to be willing to ask for ask for help around, uh, understanding that. Of course, they, they <laughs> the premise would be violence is not a solution. I mean, we can see through generation after generation after generation, that violence only leads to more violence. And, exactly. and uh, Afghanistan, my, my feeling is that Afghanistan couldn't be in any other place than it is right now. It couldn't be. Um, 
um, when all we have to do is look at the historical context of the area and it, it couldn't have turned out any differently. Um, the, the, the various factions that make up what is called Afghanistan, um, there needs to be some kind of, they have to be willing to, to, to find a place of commonality, a place where they're all connected. And uh, I, I don't know what that would take. Um, you know, and, and if they would all sit down, concentrate on their breath, um, stop eating meat, fish, or poultry, let go of their guns, um, let go of all of their ideas and be willing to transform their violence into um, uh, understanding, acceptance, and, and, and an action to live differently, um, then, then this area could be different. <laughs> you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know that they're ready to do that. So, um, yeah. All I can do is, is what, I, what, what I can do is understand that I don't know what's best for Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. What I need to do, though, is wake up to the roots of war, violence, and suffering in myself. Be ruthless about this uncovering. And, and through that process, um, how to live in, in a different relationship with this conditioning, a more active and vibrant relation with this conditioning, will show it. It has shown itself to me and, and continues to show itself to me. But I needed to be willing to live differently. The process of waking up is, is not, um, it can be really uncomfortable and destabilizing at times or feel destabilizing. However, if I'm willing to just stay the course, it's like if I'm willing to stop using drugs and stay stopped, regardless of what's happening in my life, just stay stopped, stay the course. Um, what grows out of that, what has grown out of that in my life is, is quite phenomenal. And for that, it, that for me is an, is a, an organic, alive expression of gratitude. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I think it was a great way of um, ending this interview with this, with this wonderful idea. Um, let us know and let our audience know um, where can they find you? Where can they get in touch? Uh, what you're actually doing right now in the world? Well, with the realities of COVID, what I'm doing in the world is quite like what I'm doing right here, right now with you. I have the opportunity to travel all over the world. However, I do that. Um, um, I want to say virtually, but it's not really virtual. We're, we're really talking to one another. There's nothing virtual about this. But um, the access to the internet and the access to programs like we're using now have given me the opportunity to be in contact with people all over the world um, in this particular time that we're living in. Um, if people are interested, to know more about um, me personally or the, or the work that has presented itself for me to do. Um, they can find me um, via a website. That address is www.zalto, that's Z-A-L-T, H O dot org O R G. Um, there's a wealth of information in that um, website. Also, um, it, it, one doesn't have to speak English or be able to read English to access that website because it will translate into a multitude of languages if you ask it to. Um, there are selection buttons and so. Um, also, I have had the privilege of having two books published. Uh, um, At Hell's Gate is the first one. It's a soldier's journey from war to peace. It was published by Shambhala Books. And 
is available in um, a variety of languages and can be found on Amazon. Now, if people have issues, I know some people have issues with Amazon, they can then come, if they're interested in the book, they can then come to um, the website that I just gave the address to, and um, we can organize uh, books for them. Um, also, the second book, the one most recently published, is titled Bringing Meditation to Life. Um, it's published by Oakwood Publishing. Um, right now, the book is available only in English, although there are some, uh, there's a Spanish and German translation waiting to be published, also Italian, waiting to be published. Um, that book is also available through Amazon um, or um, through the website um, that I gave the address to. In the US, there are a number of different places where the book can be purchased. But in Europe, just now, um, in Amazon, or actually there's a European website that, that also where the book can be located because there is a, a European um, extension of the Zalto Foundation. Its uh, name is the Zalto Sangha. That's S-A-N-G-H-A. And that website is www.zalto, Z-A-L-T-H-O dot org or dot de so it's a german language website um, i think also that site will translate into different languages as well if it doesn't um my mistake all right perfect thank you thank you so much we'll have um the links in in the description of this episode that, so that it's um easier for our listeners to to get to your website uh, with just one click or tap on on their phone once again thank you very much for for being here with us for sharing all of your wisdom and your life story i really appreciate it uh, georgian you're very welcome and it's been a pleasure to spend this time with you it really has thank you and <laughs> thank and you. for the work the work that you're doing by um, hosting this podcast i i, I bow to you for that Thank you very much. You're welcome.